Welcome back to One Nail at a Time, insights for building your patient's medical home. I'm Lori. And I'm Michelle, and we're with the Alberta Medical Association. So Michelle, you had an opportunity to go and talk to Dr. Kelly McGregor about her tech forward practice. Yeah, it's part of, we're, we're doing a, a, a mini series, we'll say, mm-hmm. on, on different approaches to streamlining your practice. And Kelly's approach to technology use is, is pretty unique. Um, and actually, she doesn't mention it in the podcast, but she was raised by a pair of entrepreneurs. And so mm-hmm. when she started her medical practice, she brought that entrepreneurial approach into how she set things up. And, and it's quite interesting. Indeed. Um, And so Kelly actually had so many interesting things to say um, that we're actually going to do this in two parts. And Mm -hmm. so in part one, we're going to hear a little bit about her practice and how she uses technology. And then in part two, we'll dive into the finances and privacy aspects, the most exciting parts, right? Uh, And then get her advice on where others can get started. Great. Well, let's, let's listen to part one. Kelly McGregor, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We're really excited to learn more about your unique practice style and uh, and share some tips with others who might be interested. So just to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm Kelly McGregor and I am a family doc uh, here in Edmonton. And um, I did med school in Calgary and, and trained here in residency in Edmonton. And it's been my home. Well, I was born here. So I ended up back here in Edmonton and um, started a clinic with a colleague of mine back in 2015. And that clinic has gone from the two of us to about 10 of us. And uh, we do everything from cradle to grave family medicine. Um, And now my area of focus um, for part of that is infant feeding and breastfeeding medicine. Um, But I still am very deeply rooted in that family medicine um, practice. And I do some teaching with the university in the undergraduate medical education and the postgraduate department now. Yeah. Wow. So... Mm -hmm. So the thing that we're most interested to chat with you today about is you have taken a unique approach at your clinic. Um, You're doing things a little bit differently. So Mm -hmm. tell us how you're using technology in particular in your practice. And um, sorry, I have the cold, so I'm, I'm pretty congested. Um, so, uh, yeah, when, when we started, um, we started back in 2015, this is long before COVID I, I had had worked, um, had locumed and had done residency in clinics. And then before medical school, I actually worked in a healthcare facility. And I remember thinking, man, there are a lot of ways that information is miscommunicated. And um, during that time, my own um, parent went through, well, both my parents actually went through like some big medical stuff. And, you know, you're, you're the person navigating it with them. And you see all these areas where just information falls through cracks um, or, you know, in my case, I was, you know, young and working and trying to, you know, book appointments. And I was on the phone for 45 minutes to try and book, you know, an p- appointment for my dad when he was going through his cancer therapy. And I thought, man, like, there are so many barriers, like, there's barriers um, that are that are really tangible. And then there's barriers like this, where I don't have enough time to book an appointment during business hours. So that last lasting, you know, really last, um, left a lasting impression. And I saw it with my patients a lot. You know, I, I remember, you know, you know, a mom telling me, 
I, I can't get to you. You're in Spruce Grove and, and I'm on, you know, South Edmonton and we only have one car. And I thought like, why can't I talk to her on the phone? You know, this is before we even had the, we had, we had seven phone calls a week. And, you know, it just really, I just really had this idea, like, how do we make medicine more accessible? Not only for patients, but also for us. Um, because, you know, what ends up happening is you end up staying late, you know, you, you end up staying late for these patients and you're trying to bridge the gap. So um, when we started, I started looking at different um, modalities, like where could tech help bridge that gap? And for me, one of the biggest areas was online booking. I remember booking these appointments for my parents and, and even for myself and being like, this is absurd. Like if I can book my hair appointment, which is quite complicated, <laughs> um, why can't I book my doctor's appointment? And I started looking around and I, I stumbled upon a clinic in uh, medicine hat at the time, um, Dr. Megan Elkink, who's a mentor of mine. And I called her up and said, I, I see what you're doing. Um, I'm intrigued. Would you let me come see you and hang out with you? And she graciously invited me down to Medicine Hat and I went and stayed with her. And I spent some time with her and she just blew my mind. She had been piloting some online booking, again, in a very um, rudimentary fashion. And uh, so at that point, I became really inspired to kind of take it to the next step. And so her and I became quick friends and colleagues. And then um, my own colleague of mine, we decided to open a clinic and we would say, we're going to book, we're going to use online booking. Um, and everyone at the time said, this is impossible. It's not going to happen. Um, many of the EMR providers didn't even have an, a booking portal. They didn't even have software. So we, we were very limited in what we could choose. We ended up going with the Curo and um, we piloted online booking. And right from the start, about 90% of our patients told us they wanted online booking. Now it was um, not smooth. <laughs> it was not smooth. There was one day I came in and I had two columns of patients booked because the online schedule was screwed up. So it has come a long way and COVID really accelerated these programs and platforms. They, they work very seamlessly now. Um, but it started the, the ball in motion. And then, you know, the patients who didn't want to online book, they called, we had a phone. And so they did that, but it gave people the choice, right? They could book at midnight when their babies are asleep or they didn't have to be use their lunch hour to call us. Um, and then from there, we thought, what's the other big hiccup? The big hiccup is communicating information. And so we, we um, decided that we would wanted to use a, a messaging portal, which with COVID has become quite um, common. But we, we were one of the first to actually really use it. And so we said to our patients, if you want to come to us, you have to agree to use an email. Um, and everyone actually agreed. And people who were you know, older said, well, my son will do that for me. And so we actually made it work for everybody, um, even my colleague who has how to write patients, actually. Um, and so we started piloting an online uh, portal, a secure portal. Um, at that time, it was one way. And instead of calling about your thyroid result, we would send you a message saying, hey, dear so-and-so, we got your thyroid result. It means this. Here's some attached information. Here's a new requisition. Book with us once you've done your repeat testing. Um, and it became a way to standardize our responses. It became a way of, of ensuring we could provide more information than we normally could over the phone. Um, and patients were able to keep that and, and, and have it in reference back to it. And it was you know, recorded in the, in the chart. And so it became this really efficient way. And I could do these things at, as an early riser at 5 a.m. Um, I could never call my patients at 5 a.m., right? So my own job became so much more easeful. I, I did all my labs in the early morning. 
Um, and I didn't have to wait for when I would catch them or, you know, is there going to check their voicemail, especially millennials? Like, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't even answer my voicemails. I just delete them. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I see the, I see the broken transcription. I'm a late millennial, but I see the broken transcription. I'm like, ah, good enough, you know? And so yeah. I know that that's what we're up against. Right. And, um, yeah. but when you get an email, and those emails, we we templated them, right? So we could we could customize them, but we weren't spending our time doing the stuff that we always send because there is a way that you want to communicate information, and it actually improves. I think from a safety point of view, it really improves um, the the it mitigates error. So yeah, we started that, and that was huge. And then we had lots of requests for um, virtual visits, and of course, at that time. Uh, the province said no. So I had, I had, you know, we had kind of advocated and they said, nope, 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 there's no billing. You can't even accept patients were willing to pay us, you know, there and wherever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't, I can't do it. So, you know, you, you, you make it work. Um, And then when COVID happened, it blew open the doors for virtual. Now, of course it came with a lot of struggle, um, but it honestly transformed my practice, transformed our practices. And now um, all of our clinics are set up to do virtual. And when I say virtual, I mean um, video conferencing. Um, we always opt for video conferencing over the phone because we want to ensure that we use our eyes as one of our tools of a physical exam. Um, and so, you know, while phone is helpful, you, you miss out on seeing, you know, their reactions, their the space that they're living in. Um, and so we've kind of really, those are the tools that we use. Um, and it changed my life. It has changed, I think, many people's lives who have gone on to incorporate it. But it certainly is a bit of a shift mentally. Um, and now we use a lot of text messaging. We, we still don't have a waiting room. Um, and so we patients arrive, they text us, and then we text them and, and actually let them know how long it's going to be. And then they self-room um, and they go immediately to a room, set themselves in, close the door. And then there's we mitigate contact between waiting room and staff. So if someone is positive with COVID, then we, we know that we can actually trace where that person came from and what room they were in. Um, and it's allowed us to really manage our workflow and mitigate, um, you know, the pandemic, which has been a game changer for all of us. So there's been yeah. a lot of great ways that we've used this technology and kind of run with it in the last two years. Hmm. So, so it, it sounds like, yeah, you've really embraced technology in your, your tech forward, <laughs> as they say. Yeah, um, yeah, as they say. And so if you were to describe, uh, you've, you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but can you walk us through an average day yeah. in your practice for you? Well, I, I would say <clears throat> those average days have kind of shifted and changed with COVID. And as for many of us, we've had to adjust our practices. Um, I I went through a, a personal loss. A family member died of COVID during during this last uh, year and a half. And and I actually had to make a call to stop working as much. And so I... I, I I contracted my family practice um, in an effort to just, you know, regroup. And um, so prior to that, I was running a full-fledged family medicine practice. And then after that, I've, I've mostly focused on infant feeding and teaching. And I'll probably return back to full-blown family practice in the next year or so. Um, but regardless, my day kind of looks like this. I, I show up um, to work, or, you know, I show up to work. I usually come in about an hour before my patients arrive. And I start checking my labs. So I start checking my faxes. We use a uh, we use fax uh, faxes in the cloud. So when you come into our office, you don't see a fax machine. There's no fax machines. Um, and you know it's crazy, but the cloud fax has been around for I don't know 20 years. And uh, private industry 
they too don't use fax machines. Um, and so the thing about that is I can fax anywhere in the world. You know, when we used to travel, I usually tell people that I was sitting, I was sitting on a river in Laos and I was faxing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I, I was faxing from my laptop on a river in Laos. Um, because I, I, as all of us know, you try and, you know, you know, disconnect, but sometimes you can't, you have to take care of your patients. And so, yeah, I was able to send a fax to the pharmacy uh, in Laos and they received it. And the beauty of that is when the faxes come in, we actually all, all of the docs in our office and we do have um, about five docs who call Willow, call Willow Family Medicine home. We all have our own fax number. So the faxes come from whoever directly to us. We don't spend time sorting and sifting through in one big fax blob. And so I see my faxes, right? And most clinics have one person who, uh, you know, goes through their faxes daily, which is a lot of time. Um, And then I can annotate directly on those faxes. So I don't have to print anything off. I just directly write what I need on the fax. I sign my name electronically and fax it right back. And our, our, our EMR has all of the pharmacies in essentially Northern Alberta in it, all many, most clinics. And so it's very seamless and I file it away and that's it. There's no, there's no printing off, scanning in, tracking things down. So I start with that usually. Um, and then I, I go to my labs and all of our stuff is delivered electronically. Um, and so you deal with that. And so when I get an abnormal lab, like today, you know, um, I have a patient who I've talked to who is miscarrying, um, you know, I'd already spoken with. And so today was kind of a confirmation that that was what's happening. And so I actually have a templated form that I send that's actually quite lengthy. And it talks about, hey, you know, this is the confirmation about what we talked about. And here are some resources. Here are your options around care. Um, And here are some articles that you might find helpful. And I link them into that template. Um, and what that, the feedback I've actually had around that is from a doctor in particular, who's in my practice said it was, it was something that made her feel so cared for. She said, you know, when you call and you deliver bad news, and again, this isn't the way to deliver bad news. We'd already, we've already talked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is a way to confirm the bad news that we'd already talked about. And it was a way to provide support for when they were ready. Because when I call them, when I'm free at 9am and their kids are screaming Mm -hmm. and it's school time and I say, Hey, so-and-so here's the confirmation that they usually say, okay, thanks. You know, and that's that, but they could sit with that information and then they could click on the links and the links are really about, you know, why this is hard, where to go, you know, different, different resources. Cause it's different for every person. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, yes, she could come in and see me in the office, but the reality is that I'm probably solidly booked today. And maybe she can't, right. Because she's also a doc working and doing life. Um, and so it allows this flexibility and, and that's a resource that I send to anybody who miscarries. So it allows this template to, to move forward with every patient interaction. And it is so much more profound than a phone call. And at the end of that template, I say, if you want to come see me today, if you want a phone call, absolutely respond back as a two-way communication and I'll call you. Mm-hmm. But sometimes people don't want to talk. They want to talk to their partner. They want to talk to their counselor. They don't, they're maybe not bothered at all. And it just allows a lot of flexibility. So those are the templates that we use. So I I start with that and I do that in the morning, right? So if somebody needs to be fit in, the day is free. Um, I've definitely been in practices where people, you know, do their labs and stuff at lunch and then the rest of the day, you know, you're kind of like trying to fit stuff in. So we don't have someone call patients with results. We do it all ourselves. And those templates are very quick, efficient and streamlines error. So, um, I do that. And then, um, I usually attend to my emails. Patients have our email. We, um, really encourage patients to email us about administrative matters. So there's no central, we have a central phone line. Um, but we always say, if you just want to check in about, Hey, I forgot my requisition. Um, 
give me an email. It's easy for me to deal with. It's easier than you calling the central desk, waiting for the information, leaving a message that my administrator to call you back. Then she sends me a message to say that so-and-so lost the requisition. And then we've printed out. It's just straight and done. All of our patients know that we do not do advice over email. And I'll tell you in six, almost seven years, I can count on one hand the amount of people who abuse that privilege. And when they do, I remove that privilege. Um, And so people are very, you know, they're really wanting to engage. They're really wanting to streamline because they don't also want to call and tell you that they forgot the requisition. And then requisitions and labs are all sent via electronically. So everything gets sent via secure messaging. So it's actually quite rare that someone loses the requisition because it's in their inbox. Um, But sometimes things like, hey, you know, my my kiddo has hand, foot and mouth. Um, I'm coming in this afternoon. Do you want me to convert to virtual? Then I make the call, not my administrator who has to ask me anyways. So it frees up my administrator. Her name is Corey, who does an amazing job to do stuff that's really impactful because there's no point both of us doing this. Um, And yeah, it just allows for a real connection point. Um, Again, I have colleagues who have um, practices like mine who don't use email or they only use the messaging system. So there's lots of different ways. But it really streamlines. And then I copy and paste the communication into my into the patient's chart. So we have to document. Why not start the documentation from a written form of communication to begin with? Um, and, and we're really fortunate here in Alberta now that we have that 0301 AD code. That's what that code's for. So um, I can directly let the patient know. They directly receive the information. It goes in the chart. Boom, done. And off I go to see patients in person. So... Um, I do that. And then um, I usually get on with my day. Um, That usually takes about an hour. And so patients for us are a blend of virtual and in person. I book all my appointments for half an hour. Um, I really, really try and live by the principle of that work doesn't follow me home. Um, especially the day-to-day work, the charting, of course, things like this, you know, the things that you're passionate about and CME follow me home. But um, I always think if I can't get my work done in a work day, it's too much. So um, my patients are half an hour. And um, what allowed me to do half an hour appointments was, was using these tech innovations, because at some point when we pay, when we're paying for the bloat of practice, which is multiple people involved in communication, the money goes somewhere. And so when you start using technology, you can really, um, you know, take the hit per se with that extra 15 minutes, because we know that last 15 minutes doesn't pay as much as the first 15. That's how our billing is, is structured. So how do we make up for that in other ways? And again, it's not about how do I make the most money, but how do I get paid for my time? And also how do I, pay, you know, value my patient's time? So I see patients for half an hour, um, both virtually and in person. Um, of course, you know, maybe one doesn't go quite as long and the other one goes longer, right? It kind of works itself out. And if a patient is coming in person, they arrive, um, they actually text our office. So all of our patients are booked online. When they book online, they actually will get um, a questionnaire sent to them, usually three days before. And the questionnaire covers COVID screening policy. It also covers um, their subjective complaint. So um, what are you coming in for? And Um, Our appointments are coded so that it will pick up if they're coming in for a pap smear, they're coming in for a mental health visit, they get things ahead of time and they fill that out. And if they don't fill it out, I remind them when they check in and say, hey, you know, you can come in when you finish your questionnaire. And so you learn to kind of help encourage your patients to partner with you. And I say to them, when you help me do this job, I do a better job for you. Like we're here together. And I think that teamwork is really important because when they write out why they're here, and of course, the questionnaire leads them through, you know why you're here, when did it start, what have you done, all the questions I ask, 
you'd be surprised at how articulate patients are. There's no one more motivated about their wellness and their healthcare experience than a patient who's struggling. Um, and yeah, I, I just copy that directly into my chart. Of course I add things, you know, things that they might not have said or pertinent positives and negatives, but my charting is, is essentially partially done by my patient. Um, and then from there I check their COVID screen and, and, um, I've text messaged them back and I, I actually use a program called text expander. Text expander works on any sort of PC or Mac and it is, um, it saves all your macros. Now, most EMRs have macros, but it's not robust. Text expander allows you to integrate all, all sorts of things. And so I have uh, macros that, you know, I, I press Z4 and Z4 says, uh, dear uh, patient, uh, Dr. McGregor is ready for you. Please proceed to the North door where you'll be received. Um, and so they do, they come in or the text expander says, please proceed to room three. And patients are actually instructed to room themselves. So they stop at the front door, they have sanitizer, and then they proceed to the rooms that are labeled. They shut the door and I go, I go, I go meet them there. Um, and we've been doing the self-rooming for about six months and it's actually been working really well. And so no one's left wandering. No one's sitting in the waiting, um, the vestibule. We've, we've kept our waiting room shut, um, knowing that these waves keep coming. And we actually have talked as a clinic about not ever taking, never having a waiting room because our patients, when they get asked, um, cause we've done some feedback surveys, they say, we actually really like waiting in the car. Our kids are trapped (laughs) and um, and we can, we can, we can be in the car and I can throw, you know, gummy bears at them and we can read books and we can be loud. And I'm not sitting in the waiting room and be like, don't touch that. You know? So a lot of patients actually really like it. Um, and, uh, so we actually might not go back to that. We do keep the doors open and and patients know because they get pre-visit instructions. If you need to use the washroom, come on in. Um, if you, if you're taking the bus, if you don't have a car, come on in, but the majority of people actually choose to wait in their cars. Um, and so it's been a really interesting, it's been interesting to see what works for patients and what do they want. And, um, it's often what also works for us. And our, our clinic is way quieter and way cleaner. (laughs) I'm definitely, I'm a very tiny person. So I appreciate not seeing goldfish crackers everywhere. Um, yeah. And, and so we started piloting that and, and it's really been great. And, um, yeah, patients come on in and, and we have her admin. She's there. You know, it's not like there's nobody there, but she doesn't, that's not her, that's not her job. She's not managing the patient flow and also allows me to manage my flow. So if I'm running behind, I just go in and grab the phone number, copy and paste it into our messaging portal. We use a voice over IP service called line two. We also don't have phones in the office. You'll see no phones. Everyone uses um, a desktop um, phone on their laptop. And, uh, yeah, I'll message them and say, Hey, I'm running 30 minutes behind, go grab a coffee. No problem. You know, they're not there being like, my kids are losing their minds. Right. So patients really appreciate that because this job is unpredictable, especially with the little, the little people Mm -hmm. that I work with. Um, so I can really try and honor patients time. And I think, you know, I think of my time when I go, I love my family doctor. She's amazing. But sometimes I have to take a half day off work. And that's, you know, like that can be challenging and, and, um, you know, to not know, you know, when, when will the appointment actually happen? So, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of people, especially, especially women, especially those in kind of middle income jobs, lower income jobs, where if you work at Tim Hortons and you're pregnant and you have to take a half day off every time to go to your prenatal visit that runs three hours behind, there's a reason why people don't want to hire young women who are of childbearing age. And so I think it's also a call for us to to try and navigate those barriers, why people don't come in, um, because sometimes they're worried about not getting another shift. You know, I, I think of one of my patients early in my career where that was exactly it. She was like, I think I'm going to get laid off. 
and uh, she had to take the bus, you know, from from the, from St. Albert. And um, so the ability to to honor people's time as best we can is important. So if that's an in-person patient, that's what happens. They come in, we do our thing, off they go. And um, if it's a virtual, then I, I hop on to my, I have a primary office in the office that has two screens, a really big 27-inch uh, monitor and a 17-inch laptop. And I use Doxy.me, which is an online portal. And patients log in. And from that login portal, I can also see my virtual waiting room. I'll message them with a, with a macro from Text Expander and say, hey, I'll be with you in 10, 15, 5. Hey, you know, so-and-so, you didn't complete your pre-visit questionnaire. I need you to do that. Or, hey, I see that you're in today for a headache. I've sent you a questionnaire specifically about headache. And so I go and go to the bathroom, grab a snack, see another patient, answer an email, talk to my students, um, and then come back. And so it really allows you to manage your time effectively. And man, it doesn't matter if you're 15 or 70, people have figured this stuff out. I mean, we deployed a massive provincial vaccine program by online use, so people can do it. And the people who can't do it, we make exceptions, of course, but that's not that's usually the exception, not the rule. And so virtually, I always see them um, on a virtual platform because as I alluded to before, we have to use our eyes. It's a huge part of what we do. The voice is important, but so much is lost. And I, and I definitely think virtual visits and, the, and video conferencing is an adjunct, not a replacement, because I have one patient in particular who I saw mostly virtual. And when she came in in person, it was very clear to me how poorly she was doing. It, was, it, was, it would have been easy to kind of not see on the phone. Um, so I only imagine how much we miss by only listening to our to patients' voices. Uh, so I, my rule kind of with my patients is um, I will see you by video conference, but if we kind of go two, three, four visits and I haven't seen you in person, I bring you in. And of course, if there's a reason that I have to see you, you know, such as I need to examine you um, or something seems off, right? There's a lot to be said about just sitting with someone. Um, then I say, hey, we're going to have to see each other in, in, in the office. But it allows for people, especially now the amount of patients I said who said to me, like, I can't afford to drive. Gas right. is expensive. It is. Yeah, um, yeah it is. <laughs> I can't. I can't afford childcare. I. I. It's. It's a real barrier, and I. And I think a lot of our patients aren't telling us this thing because they're embarrassed. But when you have a practice that has options, people will say, "I'm so grateful you could see me virtually because we can't put gas in the truck." And you're just like, it really. It. It just. It speaks to you about how many barriers there are for just everyday Albertans. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a blend. So I'd say half my day is virtual. Half my day is in person. Um, and, and then at the end of the day, I usually take about an hour to wrap up, um, odds and ends and then do my billing and off I go home. And, you know, that's kind of a standard day. And I take phone calls obviously throughout the day and, and that kind of stuff. So that's about, that's about standard. Thanks so much for tuning in. Check out the show notes for links to the tools, resources, and websites that were referenced in this podcast. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a comment, tell us what you thought and what you'd like to hear more about. And until next time, grab your hammer and keep building one nail at a time.